Welcome to the Maverick CPA Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders and specialists about their maverick approach to business, opportunity, and life. The show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Jay Tompkins. Welcome to the first episode of the Maverick CPA with Jay Tompkins. Today, David Spray, through his podcast, has interviewed me to discuss this podcast, what we're going to do, who we are, and how we move forward. Hope you enjoy. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, when you did you like come out of the womb it, with a desire to be a CPA, or did it develop later in life? Definitely develop later. Actually, the story comes from mainly my father's influence in two ways. One, I was his oldest. He was a physician, and of course, he wanted me to be a physician. So I went to school at Texas A&M, a chemistry major, with the idea of actually becoming a dentist. Because when it really came down to it, I didn't want to be a physician like he was. And there towards, I think, my second year, early sophomore year, he uh, called me up and he said, well, if you're going to own your own practice, which was the plan, you ought to minor in accounting or business. Because when I started my own practice, I didn't know what I was doing. Well, that makes some logical sense. So my second semester at Texas A&M, sophomore year, I'm in accounting 101, as well as organic two chemistry. And within about the first three weeks, I realized that Accounting made sense to me and chemistry was terrible. And so I called him up and I said, I'm going to switch my major to accounting and become a CPA. And all he said was, as long as you have letters behind your name, I'm happy. <laughs> That's a great story. You know, you probably could have figured out some other letters that were easier than becoming a CPA, though, I suppose. Yeah, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations through the years. And I will tell you that most people who go into the accounting world the education system does not truly prepare them for what being a CPA is. Whether you're in public industry or private, it is so far from what is taught. doesn't make it bad. It's just not what's taught. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I get it. I, I, I'm a former CPA and I do understand it. Did you, did you end up getting your accounting degree from Texas A&M then? No, because of that, you know, getting into the business school once you're there is much harder than initially. So I could have stayed there and and gotten in probably about another year. But my high school sweetheart, who actually is now my wife, was going to Stephen F. Austin to become a teacher. So I called up Stephen F. Austin and talked to them about the accounting school and was happy and they were happy to have me. So I transferred over and in fact, completed that. And then I called my girlfriend and said, hey, I'm going to come to SFA with you next semester. And she proceeded to hang the phone up on me and told me I was a liar And I said, fine, I guess I'll see you there. Now, eventually she got it because there's obviously some time that passes when that happens. But (laughs) so I went to SFA and got my master's of accountancy. And uh, that was almost exactly 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So then what brought you to Houston? Are you a native Houstonian? I am. I was born and raised and grew up in Tomball. And my wife did too, basically in the same area. But back when I graduated is right after Enron and Arthur Anderson sort of exploded. So the accounting world was on pause. Nobody wanted to hire. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew what was going on. And there was one firm who 
luckily enough for me, decided to give me an interview, which was Gaynor Donnelly and DeRoche back in the day and a partner named Wesley Middleton. And they were growing and they needed people. And so I got the interview, got there as soon as I could. They gave me a job offer and I accepted it faster than you could even look at the number (laughs) on it because it didn't matter. Back then, there was no negotiating of benefits or salary or paid time off or any of that stuff. It was, thank God, I have somewhere that's going to pay me to do And if you recognize that name, Wesley Middleton, he is also a partner with me at Baker Tilly. You know, all circles connect and the, they say don't burn bridges. And that's absolutely true. That is, uh, that is great. Yeah, I've known Wes for, for a while as, as well. So let's talk a bit about your practice you know, there's a lot of places people can go to get their taxes done, right? From, you know, some guy in a strip center to, you know, wherever, to uh, a big four international accounting firm to uh, all things in between. Who are the people that you find that you're best able to serve? So what are the characteristics, I guess, of what an ideal client looks like for you? Sure. So I lead a group called Private Client Services. And what that really means is the client is an individual and that individual has stuff. Maybe they're an executive. Maybe they have investments. Maybe they own real estate or maybe they own a small to mid-sized business with themselves and a partner or two. The focus is truly on the individual. And what most will find is there is a lot of really great tax preparers out there from small to large firms. Doesn't matter. But especially in the small to mid-sized size, they don't do a good job at focusing on planning, which means that when and how do we pay our tax? And then from that becomes further planning of how do you defer it or what should you spend it on? It's all planning based. The compliance, which is the tax returns, is a function of the planning. And very often people look at it as, well, I have to file a tax return. So I go find somebody to fill in the form for me. Doesn't mean they do a bad job. But then the reaction of what tax they owe or the result is many times negative because there was no planning. They didn't plan for what was going to happen. And generally, you're always dealing with six to eight to 12 months in arrears. So now you're making a filing on something that happened six or nine months ago, and you're not prepared for it because there was no plan. Sure. So we take a planning focus to it as much as we can. It doesn't apply to all clients, but as much as we can, we look at it as planning. It deepens the relationship. It allows to have discussions around what other things they may need, whether we provide it or don't. So the idea is we want to make a relationship with those individuals to help them plan for whatever it is, whether it's planning for retirement. I want to sell my business. I already sold it. Now what am I doing? All of those things in between individual focused planning on taxes and just financial world, essentially. Okay. And then within that space, do you have any, any kind of sub niches of types of clients or industries that uh, you have a subspecialty in? A little bit, you know, from an industry perspective, not really. Individuals own a lot of different things. Uh, but what I have created is with financial advisors and working through them to their clients to provide a value add additional service of mostly actually tax pr- preparation only. Because the planning a lot of times is already being done by the financial advisor in their financial world. But most financial advisors can't or won't also include preparation of a tax return. So as I said before, I'm helping doing planning and doing a tax return. 
Well, most advisors don't have the capacity, knowledge, or ability to also do a tax return. So I've created a service where really my client is the advisor who gives me access through them to prepare tax returns for their clients. And it looks more like an integrated service. It's a value add to the advisor. The advisor has more fingers in their client, right? More relationship, deeper relationship. They help control it. And the client likes it because that's one less person they have to talk to or organize or coordinate or try to play telephone between their various advisors. So it helps to start connect the dot. There are some firms out there from the advisory side who are attempting to do this. But in my world, I look at it like, well, that could work. But they went and hired someone to prepare tax returns. And you got one guy in the back office doing them. Well, how good is that? It could be great, but you don't know. Whereas with this, you're basically hiring a top 10 national firm and all the resources that we have at your disposal, even though you may just prepare a basic tax return. So it's that flow through of what you're really getting. So those listening out there, you know, just truly understand what your environment is and if it works for you. And if it works, great. But sometimes ask questions and go, well, is that really what I need? Whether or not you're using your brother, your uncle, your sister, your, you know, neighbor, that doesn't mean that's what you need. You have to look after yourself and what you're actually getting versus what you think is easy or trying to support someone. That is, I think you're the first person I have heard of that's approaching it that way. I know CPA firms that have started advisory practices to try to have that be that one-stop shop. Yep. And I know, and I know of advisors who've purchased small CPA firms, but the way you're approaching it seems like in some ways a better approach because it's it's each firm is focused on their true specialty and then you're just creating um, you know kind of an informal partnership to serve the client in a unified uh, fashion. Is that about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because what can happen is, and because I've been approached as a CPA over the 20 years, oh, you should add financial advising to your practice. And yes, as Baker Tilly, do we have it? Sure. But we only use it when it's appropriate. And it's not me, the CPA, trying to be the financial advisor. That's where a lot of the mistakes were made and probably are still made where a CPA is also trying to be the advisor. There is too Mm -hmm. much stuff to know to truly be sitting on the same side of the table with the client and represent them in their best interests. There's just too much. So again, stay in your lane, look for what you really need. You may not need all these various things, but if you don't ask that question, then you'll never know. Yeah. I mean, in face it, we live in a specialized world that's getting more specialized every day. Well, that is really that is really uh, interesting, and so that's a niche that you've basically spearheaded at the firm. Yep, we started a few years ago. It's grown slowly, but grown well, and it's really starting to expand a lot within national firms as well as smaller, more boutique investment firms. You know, who are looking for that value add or additional service or to make themselves unique. And so, the, and most of them who I talk to will say, oh yeah, I've thought about doing that, but I just didn't really know how. And what right. I've created bridges that gap. Okay. And so who, who ends up paying your, your fee? Does the 
advisor just pay that as a value add or does the does their ultimate client you know pay a separate fee how does that work it's a mix i would say most of them the advisor is paying for it depending on the relationship they have usually assets under management based sometimes the client is paying all of it or part of it you know they may give a credit the advisor may give a credit of x dollars cuz that client may have three businesses and an individual return and so forth so what we yeah. found is it's a mix but most of the time the advisor is either offering this to their larger clients so they're absorbing the cost as a value add you know in their relationship knowing that they want to have a deeper relationship with their client and they're willing to spend that money to do it yeah, and I also wonder if it's strategic by the advisor because, you know, if they had a big client, you know, say $20 million assets under management, and that uh, client went looking for a CPA firm to do their taxes, and let's say they come across a firm who has an advisory practice, now all of a sudden, you know, that advisor could be at risk of losing you know, the more valuable or more higher margin advisory work just because he didn't provide a tax solution. And that's actually one thing they should all ask themselves is if you feel like your client relationship is at risk, what are you doing to make you feel that way? Because realistically, if you have a good relationship, you have open communication and things are going well, it's not impossible but much less likely that a client will ever leave, even if they talk to somebody else who happens to have some inclusive service. But if you already have it, that's just another thing that they can't compare and go, oh, it gives me a reason to move. Mm -hmm. And we all know when people listening to this, that sometimes it happens and you have no idea why you throw your hands up and go, well, I thought I had a great relationship. Well, maybe you did and maybe you didn't, but even if you did, sometimes it's just totally out of your control and we're all humans and sometimes we make odd decisions, right? For whatever varying reasons. But you should look at your practice and what you're doing and as best you can define it into what type of client do I want and how do I maintain them as best I can? Again, it's never going to be a perfect system, but you can, or at least asking that question and trying. Okay. Yeah, no, I I agree that that seems like a, a wise approach. So how have you how have you been able to gain traction with that financial advisory uh, practice? Do you just you know, have some directory of all the financial advisors in the US and do you just wake up in the morning and start uh, cold calling everybody or you have you had a more uh, a different approach than that? Up until this year, we were really working with one group and they were really helping us develop it. To, for example. Mm-hmm. And until this year is when uh, really we felt like we've g- jumped over all the hurdles, found all the issues for the most part, and have defined it to where we could bring it out to the world for the most part. So what I've really done is just gone to existing relationships. Advisors already know. Okay. And then that that has expanded from there slowly because I never wanted to try to haul off and I'm going to bring in you know a million new clients this year. Well, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And in general, one advisor, first of all, one advisor, even if they have 80 or 100 clients, let's say, you're not going to get all 80 or 100 clients. 
because some of right. them are going to have CPA relationships that they're happy with, you know, right? And so forth. And, and our goal is not to go break relationships, you know, if it's working. You know, each advisor maybe is good for 10 to 40 or 50 relationships over time. So it takes time to build it, which is good. It c- takes time to, because our process is very customizable at the advisor level. And therefore, we can work with them to refine it into how they want to work with their clients. I have some advisors who they want all communication to go through them. They don't really want us to talk to the client. Okay, that's fine with us. And the client has a direct engagement with us. So they can call us anytime. There's nothing restricting them. But the advisor wants to protect it a little bit. Okay, that's up to them. No big deal. And then I have other ones who literally just want to hand it off to us and say, no, you guys take it. Keep me out of it. Right. So sure. It goes either way, and we're willing to do that for them uh, because our internal process is built to really handle the process of filing a return. And then if they need to or want to engage us on the planning side or help supplement it, or from a client perspective, have the same words coming from another professional and or the advisory, advisory side, they also they can't always say this, the correct things because it can be construed as giving tax advice and they're not allowed to do that. So sometimes they need us there to basically support or say what needs to be said. And so that that's where that whole relationship works in the back end and the client doesn't have to play telephone or in between the advisors to make that happen. Sure. Yep. Yep. I, I get it. So I guess in summer, you've got a, a diversified practice in this private client services arena where you're serving a variety of business owners and executives. And then you have this growing sub niche and into all that, I understand you're thinking about starting a podcast. Is that right? It is. And uniquely enough, maybe I enjoy, you know, I do enjoy talking to people, talking to clients, you know, telling stories and helping deepen that relationship into finding out who people are, what they're really looking for to help them in the various different ways. So I'm starting that podcast and maybe from this call, you can tell that I'm a little bit different in the way I think as a CPA. So that podcast will be named Maverick CPA podcast and Maverick goes back to some childhood movies such as Top Gun and so forth that I grew up watching and loved. So it all connects the dots and I look forward to kicking it off. Well, that's awesome. That is awesome. I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts. They've they've certainly uh, been an enjoyable activity for me to do. What what are you hoping to uh, accomplish with the the podcast? Mostly to engage further with my clients and centers of influence. Let them tell their stories, just as I am here to deepen those relationships, get to know people better. And you can do that through telling stories, right? And this provides a way to do that outside of maybe always the traditional, let's go play golf or go have lunch and so forth. And then they can also use this for their own uh, use and sending to their clients and so forth. And again, deepening their own relationships in whatever topic we may be talking about. So that's how I look at it in a useful way. Okay. So you being an accountant, did you, we find that a, that a podcast, whether you're outsourcing it or doing internally cost, oh, you know, somewhere between 700 and a thousand dollars an episode. 
And typically we recommend like a monthly cadence. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, I think monthly is a, a great way to start. I've also got to develop sort of the list and clients who have interesting stories that people may want to hear or talk about. And so I'm doing that. And, you know, if the volume gets high enough, we'll pump it up. But for now, monthly should be pretty good. Okay. You being a CPA, I'm sure you probably gave some thought to the to the cost. We find that the all-in cost for a monthly podcast is typically about 700 to $1,000, whether you're doing it internally or outsourcing it. And uh, what we find a lot of times are that clients want to do a podcast like emotionally, but then the logical part of their brain feels like they have to be able to justify it financially. And we find a, a couple simple ways to, to justify it is one is to just look at what the lifetime value of a client is. And we typically find that if the lifetime value of a client is more than $20,000, that that if you do the math, if you do a podcast a month for two years and you end up with one client, that you break even on it. In your world, is the lifetime value of a client uh, more than $20,000? Most of the time, yeah. When you consider the tax compliant and planning for most clients who have a business and, you know, need other things, no doubt. And really, I, I mean, I look at it that way, but as my podcast name says, Maverick CPA, I also look at it a little bit differently in that the value in what you're doing doesn't have to be tied directly back to some exact dollar. I mean, there's a lot of marketing and advertising dollars that people throw around that you can never get a defined exact ROI on it. Sure. So you have, I look at this as a relationship builder. Well, how do you put a, a, a dollar value on a relationship builder? You're taking people out to lunch and golf and everything else and easily spending those same dollars more freely, it seems like, than a service that... May or may not get you that, but again, if you enjoy this method and it helps connect, then you've created something that was good. Yeah, I would agree. And the other thing that that sometimes people don't think about is that you're creating an asset that can be used in a number of ways in the future. Like we've had clients who, when they're talking to a potential client and they like ask for references. They'll say, hey, sure, but my clients, you know, they tend to be really busy. And I tell you what, as a starting point, I've interviewed a couple of them for my podcast. Could I send you a link to the podcast and maybe you just listen to the podcast? And if you still need some references after that, let me know. And we found that to be very effective in reducing the need for, for references. Yeah, I also think it can be used as a method to reach out to people in a, a way that's maybe not necessarily annoying. People want to listen to it, hear a different story that's not your same. I'm sending you something about taxes because everybody right. loves taxes and they want to think about it all the time. So it's just a way to connect outside mm -hmm. of that and even get to be you know, looking at people in, from a different view or learning about them. You also thought about there may be folks who you might have a hard time getting a meeting with, but they might be receptive to being a guest on your podcast. I suppose that's possible. Usually in my world, getting a meeting with somebody isn't too hard because everybody has a tax problem. If I go to a backyard Understood. barbecue party, they all want to talk about taxes with me or something. I got a question for you. 
right? right. So getting the meeting is not too hard, but then the follow-up sometimes can be harder. So if there's some subject matter that we talked about and I could send them that podcast link, that, that can help bridge that gap or to continue the conversation versus just what initially happened. Well, geez, I can't believe uh, the how the time has already flown by. Did you, as you're exploring, you know, this podcast and kind of thinking through it, did you have any questions for me, you know, that I could be of help with just in terms of my experience from having hosted a, a couple of podcasts through the years? Not really. I mean, I think sending the message out and people understanding that, you know, this can be a way that is unique to communicate. And as I've learned from you that, you know, it's pretty much an unused medium. If you think about the world in the way they use it, especially in professional services, which both you and I are in, and it's not that hard to try and you may as well get it, give it a shot, a shot and you never know what works. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would agree. Well, I'm really excited about about your podcast coming up, and I would love to have you back uh, on the podcast uh, a few months later, check in with you. I'm sure some of the listeners will be curious to know how things have gone. I think that would be fantastic, right? We get closer to the end of the year, and I've done a handful of them, and see what kind of result has come from them. I know I've invited a few people already and they seem to be excited and willing to do so. There must be some pent up interest in uh, people that listen to them or even don't. And maybe there's a lot of people out there that like to talk about themselves. Now that sounds great. Well, if people want to reach you, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you? I mean, really, email is fantastic, which is just jay.tompkins, which is T-O-M-P-K-I-N-S at bakertilly.com or by phone, which is simply 713-857-5983. And that's my cell phone. You feel free to text me. That's just how I communicate with everybody and it seems to work. Well, that sounds great. Well, Jay, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast and I hope you just nothing but the best of success with, with your podcast. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Awesome. Have a great day. Bye. And there it is. Another fantastic episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at mavericcpa.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at bakertilly.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.